yesterday and said, preach like you are out of, like you are from out of this world. And I texted him back and I said, like a robot? And he said, no. So I will not be speaking like a robot today. Maybe like an alien. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, so most of you this morning got into your car and trusted that it would work. Maybe some of you didn't. I've been there. Uh, most of you trusted that when you got up this morning, you took a shower, your water would turn on. Uh, most of you trusted that maybe if you got your coffee on the way in or you got your coffee at our cafe, um, that there would be someone there to make your coffee. Uh, most of you trust that when you need something in the physical realm, that that person is probably going to be there or that that thing is probably going to work. And sometimes we trust those things so easily. We trust those people so easily. But then when we have to trust God, suddenly it's like this really hard, difficult thing for us. And I don't know about you, but I literally hate it when someone's like, you just need to trust God through this moment. I'm like, that's, that's literally the worst thing, okay? Uh, it feels so intangible to me and so hard to grasp at times. And over and over again, I've had some trust God moments where I've literally just had to put my trust in God. And it seems like every time I come to a transition or a turning point in my life, God is saying, trust me. So some of you, if you raise your hand, if you're like this, maybe you're a planner, you plan your life, it's me, it's I do it. And then God laughs in my face and he does his plan because he's obviously got a better plan. Um, but he, I try to plan my life. I try to figure out what the next five years, even maybe the next year is going to look like, things like that. And then God's like, nope, this is what we're doing. Uh, and he tells me to trust him and I'm like, okay, but what are we doing? Can you please let me know? Like, I can like tell you I'm trusting you, God, but can you just like show me what the thing is so I at least know where we're going with the trust so I can trust you a little better maybe. Um, and he's like, no, just trust me. And so today we're going to walk through some of those things, um, both in my life and in your life, of moments where God is telling you to trust him, ways that God is telling you to trust him, and um, how we can put our faith better and our trust better into the hands of God. So I have a lot of plans, a lot of things that I like to plan. Um, but like I said, usually God's like, no, this is what we're doing instead. So we're going to go through some moments in my life. So let's throw up that first picture. Yep, that's me. I was 16. How many of you had MySpace? That was my MySpace profile picture. Uh, at 16, I was called into youth ministry. And the problem was that was that I already had a plan. And I already knew what I was going to do. I was going to be a brain surgeon or like a radiologist or something like that. And I kept telling God, I was like, dude, I am too smart for this job, okay? A youth pastor? Come on. I don't even like teenagers. And um, I was like, I don't really want to do this. Like, this is not, it's not going to be my thing. I can't do it. I can't be a youth pastor. And I even tried to give God like different career options that he could choose from instead of youth pastor. Um, I'm a musician also, and I played saxophone since I was 12 years old on. I have a minor in music. And I was like, God, I could have a recording studio. And this is what I told him. I said, and then Christian recording artists could record for a cheaper rate. Uh, or I could be a brain surgeon, and then after I save someone's life, I could save someone's life by telling them about Jesus, right? And he was like, no, you're wrong. And I was like, but it could work, though, God. Like, work with me here. And he was like, absolutely not. You're wrong. Um, and so I tried giving him other career options. He kept telling me, you know, he kept bringing me back to youth ministry. Um, the funny part about that is that I told him that I would never work with middle school. And I was like, middle school, man, they are a lot. Um, I don't feel that way anymore, middle schoolers. I love you. Um, but at that point, when I was 17, 18 in high school, I was like, no thanks. I'm going to hire a middle school youth pastor because I'm not doing that. Um, I actually 
had to figure out where to go to college after this. So he called me to youth ministry. I was finally at the point where I was like, okay, dude, whatever, we're doing it. I call God dude, just so you know. I also call him man and maybe bro. Just so you hear those things, I'm not being disrespectful. Um, so I call, I was like, okay, God, like, whatever, we're doing this. I guess I'm going to be youth pastor. So SAGU, Southwestern Assemblies of God University, was literally two hours from my home, okay? The people that mentored me in ministry, they all went to SAGU. They were like, Liz, just go to SAGU. I said no, because it's just who I was in that moment. And I decided that I was going to research it and figure it out for myself. So there's this website called Christian College Finder. I don't know how I found that website. I determined to research 35 Christian colleges because I needed to find the one that was right for me based upon my own research. Um, so I would research deep into their websites, deep into their job description, their, their ministry plans, their things like that. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm doing. I narrowed it down and SAGU was still in that top list. And then finally, I got to the point where I was like, okay, you're right. I'll just go to SAGU. Because God already knew. He already knew what I was supposed to do. So I finally jumped on that train with him and went to SAGU. Um, go to the next picture. This is me and your youth pastor, Josh Jans, at 19 when we started dating. Um, we were very baby children. And uh, I started dating my now husband at 19. And I determined not to like or date him until I had, like, complete peace about it. And I did have that peace, but I continued to argue with God, as I have done. Uh, I continued to argue with God about it until one day my roommate yelled at me. And she was like, just like him already. You have the peace, and you're continuing to argue with God. And I was like, you're right. I should. Um, the problem with that, though, was that my husband wanted to be a youth pastor, and so did I. And my uh, undergrad degree is in youth and student ministries. And I struggled with that because in my mind, I was called to youth ministry, and that was what my job was going to be, the youth pastor. My husband could do whatever else job he wanted except be the youth pastor, but then I ended up marrying a youth pastor. And I struggled. I had this like legitimate like identity crisis where I was like, for years, was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I have this degree. What the heck is happening in my life? Like I'm struggling. I'm, I'm confused. I'm frustrated. And I enjoyed working with Josh in the youth ministry when we were here, but I still struggled. And I worked as the administrative assistant at the church and like I could do the job, but it wasn't my favorite job. And it wasn't the job where I was like, man, this is just really fulfilling the emails and the phone calls. I love it. I did not love it. Um, and I really struggled because I didn't know what that was going to look like and what was going to happen in my life. So I'll go to the next picture. This is a picture of when we got here. You can't see us. Um, I'm the one at the bottom here. I'm doing this. Uh, Josh is in the back somewhere. He looked like a teenager when we got here. I don't even know where he is. Um, Isaac, that just played drums. They see he's a little shining face there in the back. Um, all of these kids are adults now. That one's going to be a missionary. You know, like, there's so many. Like, some of them have babies. It's crazy. Um, it's so cool to see what they're all doing now. Nikki's child is in there. You know, you see some of your children in there. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So that was two weeks after we moved here. We got here, and two weeks later, they were like, all right, you're going to youth camp. And we were like, okay. And we still were, like, really kind then because we wanted the children to like us. And so we were like, yeah, we're your cool youth pastors. We're 22 years old. Um, and it was silly. Um, Josh tried to be friends with Isaac, and they climbed out a window to the dorm, and Josh fell in a cactus. I think that was the Lord telling him, like, quit trying to be Isaac's friend. Um, but now we're Isaac's friend, so it's okay. <laughs> um, but, man, there were times when um, we were here, and I really struggled at the beginning of it because I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know what my identity was. 
I didn't know what was happening in my life, and I didn't understand why God had brought me to youth ministry. And then in my mind, in that moment, I felt like he had brought me to that and then was like, just kidding, uh, you're going to do this instead. And I was like, what? Why would you do this? Why would you, why would you call me to youth ministry out of like crazy life experiences, crazy encounters that I've had with you, crazy things that have happened in my life, beautiful, amazing God moments. And then like, this is what it feels like. And I loved the youth ministry side. I loved being at the services with the students. I loved the people interacting with the people, but working in an office every day was like not my jam. And I didn't know what to do. And I was really having a hard time with it. And I felt like my identity was like so lost. And like, how was I to be called to ministry? How was I to be called to this thing that God had very clearly called me to? And then it wasn't there. And I was like really struggling. I would cry out to God, feeling like I wasn't where I was supposed to be. I would cry out and say, God, why would we do this? Why would you do this to me? Like, I worked so hard. I did the youth ministry degree. I did the things. I went to Sagu. Like, what is happening? Where have you been? And he just continued to tell me to trust him. And we got to a point where my husband and I started to talk about, like, what the next step looked like for me. Started to figure out what that meant in my life. And we started to talk about counseling. And in that time in our youth group, we had a lot of teenagers that were struggling with pornography. And that was something that we were really ministering to, the, ministering to those students out of that issue. And I, in my mind, I was like, okay, should I do like sex addiction counseling? Should I just do like straight LPC counseling? I didn't know. I didn't know what it was. And the silly part was that one time I started to Google counseling and school counseling came up. And I was like, I literally turned to my husband and I was like, should I be a school counselor? Like that was, that was it. That was the thing. And he was like, yeah, I think you'd like that. And then we spoke to a leader in our lives who had been known me since I was a teenager, um, had seen me. I'd been a small group leader at his house in college, things like that. So he had seen me grow up and grow into ministry. And his wife was a school counselor. And he looked at me and he said, Liz, I think this is something that's going to very much align with who you are. And it's going to very much align with what God's calling you to do. And I think you're going to find that this is where you need to be. And I was like, okay. And I just kind of moved forward trusting God. And go to the next picture. This was two weeks before I started grad school. At this point, I'd signed up for all my classes. I put a, a deposit down on the classes. I was ready to go. I was taking a lot of classes because I'm an achiever by nature. And I was like, let's do all the things and do them like a crazy person. So I probably had signed up for like 15 grad school hours at this point. If you know anything about grad school, like you don't say, take the same amount of grad school hours as you would undergrad hours. They're like a lot more intense. There's a lot more work. But I did it, you know, because why not? I was pregnant in this picture and I didn't know it. And it was two weeks before grad school started. And like two days after this picture, maybe even one day, I don't know, I found out that I was pregnant. And I laid in bed when grad school started. I laid in bed crying the first few weeks and I was like, man, why did you do this? God, like, what is happening, okay? I just decided to jump into your plan and do the thing and be the school counselor, and I'm about to have a baby in the middle of this. Like, what in the world is happening? And I remember talking to Josh about that, and he was like, no, God has clearly called you to do this. God has a plan for you, and you need to, like, stick to it. And he, like, gave me that, like, middle-of-the-night pep talk that I didn't want, but I was like, okay, whatever. So a year or so in, I had a four-month-old baby, and I 
was doing um, full-time work, 40 hours a week. I was also in my practicum, which was 150 hours a semester. So that practicum's first, then you have the two internships. I was seeing clients at a counseling center and doing admin work at a as a counseling center as part of my degree. So I was at the counseling center seven to 12 hours a week, working four hours a week, and had a four to eight month old baby in that four month time span. It was great. Josh was a single dad for four months, basically. That's what it felt like for him. Um, in that time, I missed a deadline. And it was a deadline for my next internship. So it was big. It was like graduation date altering, okay? And it slipped my mind completely. I kind of had a lot going on. And I remember sitting in Sawyer's room crying to Josh. And I was like, I have ruined my life. That's never going to work. Now I'm going to graduate in December of 2019. That's the middle of the school year. Who's going to hire a school counselor in January of 2020? No one's even supposed to quit as a school counselor in the middle of the year. If I do, it's going to be a bad situation I'm walking into. Or if I try to get a job the next August, who's going to want a school counselor that hasn't worked in eight months as a school counselor? What kind of job am I even going to have for eight months? Oh, my gosh. And I was so frustrated because I was like, I did this, and I broke the plan and all this. And I feel like God sees me do those things, and he just, like, giggles a little bit at me. Um, so in that moment... I was in my panic. Um, I called the advisor at my school, and I ended up adding 12 hours to my program. It was a 48-hour program. I added 12 more hours so that I could become a licensed professional counselor in the state of Colorado as well. And um, I was like, okay, I guess this is a thing I can do because I'm going to have a whole extra semester to take classes. And I was really upset <laughs> with myself. Um, but here's the beautiful part of it. Go to the next picture. I graduated, and three weeks later, I had that baby. So before she was even conceived, God knew what was happening. And his plan was already thought out. And then it happened. And I'm like getting to my graduation date. And I was like, oh, you did know. I don't know if you made me miss the deadline, but you sure turned it around for me there. And he knew. Because if I was already working in a school and I had a baby during my first year of being a school counselor, that would have been so difficult. The stress on me would have been very difficult. And it would have been so hard to navigate that, but God knew. He also provided me with a job that throughout the midst of this, I worked. And they let me flex my hours so crazy. If anyone needs a job, MediShare. That's where I worked for three years while I did my master's program. They flexed my job. They did so many things. I got to do crazy things that employees probably wouldn't get to do. Like I worked 24 hours and they moved me to home before COVID was even a thing. They let me do so many crazy things. And like God just aligned those pieces over and over and over again because he knew. And he had a plan, and he had a bigger purpose than I did, even when I thought I ruined my whole life and ruined my school counseling career. Um, go to that next picture. So God placed me at the school. I'm at Banning Lewis Preparatory Academy right now, and this is, I'm about to go into my third year next year. So he, um, he did crazy things. He placed me at that school. I was trying to get into District 20 as an intern um, because I had heard a lot of things about District 20. At that time, we had a lot of students who were going to District 20 schools. So we went to a lot of band concerts, athletic events, things like that. I was like, this is a cool place to be. So I went, and this is, this school is in D22. So I was like, oh, well, if I go to a D20 school, I'm going to be like in the same area where some of our youth kids are. It's going to be really fun. Yeah, great things. Um, and I couldn't. I literally tried to go through their main area to go to like eight different schools and no one would get back to me. And this lady was like, I'm waiting on the principals and the principals have to contact their counselors. And it's like a whole process. And I was so frustrated. So I did a thing that I should not have done. And I knew the school counselor at Banning Lewis Ranch Academy, which was the elementary school. And I sent her a Facebook message 
And I said, hey, I know this is not the way I'm supposed to do this, but do you need an intern next year? And um, she was like, actually, yes. I have 800 students at my school, and I'm the only school counselor. I would love an intern next year. And I ended up getting into that school as an intern. She connected me with the school counselor at this school, and I interned with her the next semester. And that's when I was very pregnant and had the baby afterwards and all that. So then I'm still trying to figure out, like, I don't know where I'm going next year. I go... I have Charlotte, I'm working from home, with a baby at home, for MediShare, doing phone calls. It's great, Charlotte talked, I talked to people on the phone, they listened to my baby talk, it was a lot. Um, they were so gracious about it. And then, my supervisor from the prep, she calls me and she says, Liz, I'm moving to a different school down in Fountain because it's closer to where I live, I want you to take my job. And I was like, okay. I knew all those people, I knew the administration, I knew a lot of the kids that I would be working with, so I did it. And I ended up being placed in this crazy place where like, I didn't expect to be, I would have never expected to do that. But it just opened doors. And the cool thing about my school is that people know I'm a youth pastor there and no one is scared of it. There are students, we did a whole career lesson and I would stand in the classrooms and I was like, y'all, I, because I talked to them about switching careers, things like that, I said, y'all, my undergrad is in youth ministry. So I said that in front of students, and they were like, cool. Uh, I said, and then three years after I graduated, I started my master's program because I was trying to get them to understand the purpose of, like, it's okay to switch careers, and it's okay to, like, figure out uh, down the line what you're supposed to do and things like that. Um, and so there are people there that know I'm a Christian. There are people that know I'm a youth pastor. I have teachers who sit in my office and talk to me about Jesus because they need somewhere to process things. If you go to the next picture, a counselor there in the white glasses on the end right next to me, um, she has been a dear friend to me. She's also a Christian. And man, we have had some of the most amazing conversations. She's another middle school counselor, so we're co-counselors together. She's amazing. And I had this tug at my heart. I, I'm in my LPCC, so I'm a licensed uh, professional counselor candidate, which means that I have to accrue 2,000 hours over the course of four years of client work. Additionally, um, 100 hours of supervision. So I'm under supervision with a Christian counselor right now, and I meet with him weekly. And then um, my school counseling hours count towards that. But he was pushing me to start to see more private clients, and I was feeling the need to do that. So I had this tug in my heart to go part-time so that I could see clients two days a week or three days a week, whatever that might look like. But I want you to understand that in school counseling land and education, that doesn't happen. People don't just say like, all right, you can only be here part of the time, I guess. You know, only serve your students part of the time. Um, but she, unexpectedly, that counselor found out that she was pregnant. And she's due in July. And she wasn't planning to be pregnant. Um, it just happened. And it's her first baby. And so she wanted to go part-time too. So she approached me at school one day and she said, Liz, I think I want to go part-time. And I was like, oh, me too. Should we job share? Should we make this happen? And she and I spent time like really processing it and thinking about it and what it would look like, kind of like conceptualizing it, trying to understand how we could make this happen. And we approached our principal and he was nervous and we talked with him and HR and it worked out that he made it happen for us. And so she gets to stay home with her baby two days a week and I get to go see clients, private clients, two days a week. And it's crazy. And the cool part is that I don't even know what God's going to do through all of that next year. Like, I know that he's opening doors, and I know that he's doing things, but I know that there's probably things in store for me next year that are going to be even cooler than I can foresee right now. And some of you might say, wow, there are so many great timing moments in your life. And I would agree that there have been some great, cool Jesus moments where God has done things. 
But I've also had a lot of moments of agony. I've also had a lot of moments of misery and desperation and questioning God and questioning who I am and questioning why these things were happening and why did this happen and how did this happen like this and things like that. Things that I didn't even really get into in these, four, these seven pictures. There were a lot of moments where I would cry out to God and say, God, what is happening right now? Man, why is this happening the way that it is? I don't understand. And over and over again, he would say, just trust me. Just trust me. And I would have these encounters with God in these moments where he would prove himself. And then it almost felt like I was going back into a period of waiting, back into a period of expecting him for the next trusting thing, the next thing that he was going to do. This week is the week after Easter. Back in Bible times, Jesus rose, ascended into heaven, and now his followers are living in the aftermath of their incredible encounter with God. And maybe you've had an encounter with God. Maybe he's promised you something that you are still waiting on. Maybe he's told you to trust him and you're sitting here in agony, wondering when it will be over, when the answer will be found, or when there will be a resolution. In the aftermath of that encounter with God, in that waiting, in the pain, we have to trust God even when it's hard and even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we feel like we might have a better plan ourselves. I was the one who tried to give God options because I felt like his plan wasn't happening fast enough. But I knew in those moments I had to trust God. So we're going to look at four distinct areas of trusting God and how those can be a part of our own growth and life change. I was recently doing a study about trusting God in preparation for this sermon, and I felt strongly that like I knew I want what I wanted to say, and I felt strongly that this is what I was supposed to speak about. But I almost didn't even know how to put it into words. Because some of the moments I've seen God come through in my life did not even make sense. Like they literally left me speechless. They left me in awe of who he was, of what he could do, his power. It was incredible. And he was able to do things far outside of my own attempts at planning or my own attempts at gaining control. The first thing we have to do is we have to trust God with what we don't know. Sometimes in a situation we feel like God is calling us to trust him, but we literally have no idea why. Sometimes God has given us a dream, a promise, but we don't know how we're going to get there. There's so many unknowns. Abraham was given a promise to be a great nation, but then God asked him to sacrifice his firstborn son. In Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And then after that, Abraham had to wait a while. And there were moments where he struggled and he was really like frustrated and didn't understand. He didn't know what was happening and he just kept having to say, okay, God, I trust you. I trust your power. I trust what you're going to do. And then God gave him Isaac. But then in Genesis 22, it says, take your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He didn't argue with God. He didn't say, God, you're wrong. I'm not going to do this. This is crazy. He didn't say, God, why would you tell me this? And then do take it back. What's the deal here? He got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. He chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham had a lot of time to think about this as he was walking. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. 
He told the servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. I don't think that was an accident. I think in that moment he was trusting God. And I don't know about some of you, but I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And if God was like, all right, it's time to sacrifice them, I'd be like, I don't, no, no, please no. Can we do anything else? Can we do something? Like, please, let's find something else to do. I would really be negotiating with God in that moment. And I would really be trying to, like, figure out a different plan and be really scared and be really unsure of what was happening. But Abraham had so much certainty, he told another person, we will come right back to you. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. So this tells me that Isaac was not six years old. He was probably a teenager. While he himself carried the fire and the knife, as the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and he said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? And I'm sure the wheels were turning in Isaac's brain at this point. I'm sure he was a little terrified and was like, okay, what are we doing, Dad? I, like, I'm trying to trust you as you're trusting the Lord, but literally this doesn't seem like a good plan. What are we doing? And Abraham told him, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. So then Isaac, maybe in that moment, he's a little reassured. He's like, okay, we're going to get the sheep, but I don't see any sheep around here. Um, When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. I imagine in this moment, Isaac's like, okay, we have the altar. We have the wood. Where are the sheep? Sheep, are you coming? I'm sure in that moment, he was like really nervous, and he was looking for the sheep because he was trying to find something, anything, to be that burnt offering. And then Abraham tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Like I said, Isaac was likely not six years old in this, so I place him at 12 in my brain. Um, Abraham put his son tied up on the altar. And 12-year-old boys, if you know them, they're feisty, okay? They don't always listen, and they're a little wild sometimes. And I'm sure in that moment he was like, Dad, what is happening? Why are we doing this? I'm sure he wanted to get loose and he wanted to run away because he was like, my dad has lost his mind. I'm not letting him do this. This is crazy. But it seems like Abraham had such a peace and a calm about him. He put him on the altar. He had his knife raised to kill his own son. Man, I can't imagine the emotion in that moment. As a counselor, I think about the emotion of what these people were feeling. The emotions were probably running real high in that moment. And as he had his knife raised, he didn't just like have it. He had it raised like we were about to go down and like hurt his son. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. He's like, finally, don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. And Abraham didn't know how God would provide in that moment, but he trusted him even to the point that he had a knife raised above his son's face. He trusted his promise from God that God had told him long ago that I will make you the father of many nations. And he trusted that God's plan was higher than his plan. He trusted that God was going to do a thing that he couldn't even understand and that God's power was so much higher than his own power. The next part is trusting God's timing. This one might be the hardest one for me. I want to be in control. I want to know what's going to happen. And I especially struggle to wait. I'm the person that's like, let's make a plan, God, and let's just, like, do the thing right now. Can we make it happen by morning? I bet we could. Let's do it. And sometimes God wants to make me wait, and I struggle with that. 
I struggled with figuring it out. Figuring out the process from when we moved here to becoming a school counselor, that took me years. Years of questioning God and being like, God, what are we doing? Like, what am I doing? You know, I'm struggling and I feel like, I feel like I've been called to youth ministry, but like what is happening in my life? And it was years of waiting and trying to figure out what God was saying and what he was doing. Moses, Caleb, and Joshua led the Israelites through Egypt for 40 years. I'm so glad I did not have to wait 40 years. Moses was frustrated with the people, frustrated with God, and didn't end up even making it to the promised land. Caleb and Joshua continued to have faith in what God had promised them and made it to the promised land in God's timing. Not in their own timing, but in God's timing. I'm sure they had those moments too where they were like, okay, Moses is saying this, I, should we agree with Moses? I think we should, maybe, I don't know. I'm sure there were moments in their own minds where they were doubting it and they were a little questioning of what was happening. I can imagine that there were times that they wanted to give up, to fight back against God, maybe give him some other options, like I tried to, um, against the people they were helping to lead. Maybe they wanted to fight back against those people, but they remained faithful through those things. God has shown up in perfect timing in wild ways in my life, like having a baby two weeks after I graduated because I missed a time, a, a, a submission time for an internship. And I usually don't realize those things until after it's happened. But I keep knowing that it's going to happen like every time. So I go into situations questioning what's going to happen, but I'm also eager to see how God's going to work it all out because I go into it with this fear, this kind of trying to control it on my own. But then I also go into it saying, okay, God, like I know this is going to be cool and crazy, so let's make it happen. But I kind of want to see what's going to happen now. Can you show me? But he won't. And there were so many things with having Charlotte, with buying our first home, things that God worked out in spite of me. Whenever we bought our first home, we literally all went to like 80 houses. Our realtor, he was the nicest man ever. He just walked us into all 80 of these houses and we would look at a house and we'd be like, yeah, I don't think this one is it. And he probably got so tired of us. We would go into these houses, we would look around, we'd find something we didn't really enjoy about it or maybe the area we didn't like about it. And we, we would find all these different things and we would find houses that we really liked, but then he would send us a message back 15 minutes later. Oh, that one's already been sold. And I'm like, it literally listed 15 minutes ago. He's like, yeah, I know, sorry. Um, and that was in 2016 we bought our first house and we didn't have like all the dollars to buy a house. So we were in a specific like a specific, I would say, like budget, okay? That was the same budget that all of the military um, people, like with the young families had too. But they had VA loans, so they didn't have to stress about their down payment. They were just like, they could go in and buy a house, which they should be able to. But it was hard because there were all these military families that were moving into the same place as we were, and they were stealing all of our houses, okay? We put offers in on multiple houses. We did so many things. It was so stressful. And man, we would pray to God every night. We would say, okay, God, like out loud together in our bed, we would say, God, let us find the perfect house in the perfect place, in the perfect price, and in the perfect timing. And we would pray it over and over again. And like, we would pray and just like ask God. And sometimes in those moments when we're like in that like waiting or that exhaustion of like waiting for him to move or do his thing and work in his own timing, it draws us closer to him because we have to rely on him in those moments. And we have to say, okay, God, you're going to do this thing and I'm going to let you do it. Even when I don't want to, and even when I want to take control and figure out what I want, I have to let you do it in your timing. The next part is trusting God's power. So I know that 
once COVID hit and a lot of people went into quarantine, I read things where people were like, you know, I was really hoping in that moment for like just a break from work and the ability to spend more time with my family. And then we all went into quarantine for months and what in the world just happened to me? And I don't think that God caused COVID, but I think that sometimes he uses situations like that to answer our prayers in ways that we don't expect. I think sometimes he can change a situation and he can make a situation that feels out of control to us and he can use his incredible sovereign power to move in that situation and make it plain to us and give us the things that we want, maybe not in the ways that we expect them to be given to us, but be able to still move in our lives in crazy ways. In the book of Joshua, God literally made the sun stand still. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Aijalon. Now, if I'm you and I'm praying a wild prayer, or if I'm Joshua, I guess, and I'm praying a wild prayer in front of those people, I'm like, are we doing this, God? We really? Okay. Lord, let the sun stand still. I really hope you do this because I'm going to look really ridiculous if you don't. And he's like literally putting all of his trust into God's power to do something wild, like making the sun stand still. This isn't just like, Lord, let us find a nice goat nearby to sacrifice. He's like, let's, let's make the whole sun stand still, the whole thing. Let's just do it. Let's do it all out, you know? And in that moment, the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky and it did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. And maybe you're in like a weird sun standstill moment in your life where God has never done something like that before. You've never seen God move in anyone's life, let alone your own in this way. And you're like, God, I need a sun standstill moment. And I'm scared because I've never even seen this happen. But I believe that you can do it. And we can trust in his power. Sometimes I think we put God into a box. Sure, he can change the situation, but only in this way. Sure, he can make a way, but how much of a way can he really make? Sometimes our field of view is so limited that we fail to see all that God can do. How he can orchestrate things years down the line that are being fulfilled by what's happening in your life right now. Mountains, those mountains can move. The sun can stand still. Whatever is happening in your life, God has the actual power to change that situation. And I think sometimes we live in a place where we trust his power, but not to that degree. We trust him, but we don't trust him in the way that we really should be. Years ago, I was in India on a missions trip, and I remember we went to this lady's house. We would go and pray for people. We would have these services in villages and then go and pray for people. And I remember coming out of this service, and we're walking. So we went to this church service, and we went and we prayed for this old lady who was at her house, and she couldn't even get up. They had her out on a blanket in front of her home so we could pray for her. And I remember walking back down the road, and right there in the intersection of the road, the dad of this like 10-year-old boy had rolled his child in a wheelchair out in front of us. And it broke my heart. Because this man believed so strongly that God could heal his son, that he was willing to do whatever. He rolled his child out into the middle of the road because he knew that we would come 
And he knew that we would have to stop and pray for his kid. And he believed that God was going to do something crazy. And sometimes we don't have that kind of trust in God. Sometimes we're like, okay, God, you can do my thing and you can fulfill this need. But only if you do it in this way. Only if you fix the need in this way. But man, God has so many other ways that he's going to work in our lives that we can't even see because our field of view is so limited. Our scope is right here. Our situation is right here. But he sees here. He sees the before, the after, the up, the down. He sees every part of the situation. And sometimes we're so stuck in this minute right here that this is all we can see. But when God tells us to trust him, he's not saying just trust me right here. He's saying trust me for all of eternity because I see it all. The next part is trusting the process. Life can be hard. Life can be miserable at times. Sometimes when we're in those miserable spots, it can be easy for us to contemplate whether God has abandoned us, whether he's forgotten us. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we read where God hears the cries of his people. I can promise you that as you cry out to God, as you say, God, what is happening in my life? What is going on? I can promise you that he hears you and he sees you and he is not ignoring your cries. His heart breaks for the misery that you might be going through. And I think that, you know, when God, when Jesus was on the earth, he was 100% man and 100% God. And I believe that he really felt some of those same emotions that we felt. I believe that there were moments where his heart was broken, where he felt the grief and the pain of what being a human entails. And it's hard. And I believe that when we have those moments where we're crying out and we're like, what is happening? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? He's like, yeah, I thought that too. I asked that on the cross. I felt that pain with you. And now I feel it again. I believe that his heart breaks for us and his heart breaks with us when we're in those misery moments. Sometimes I feel that he's bringing us through a moment of testing. Because sometimes we see this here, we see the situation, and it's a hard thing, but I feel like it's a testing moment because when we trust him in this moment, when we trust him with this thing, and we put our faith and our trust in him, he says, okay, now we're going to do this thing. If I can trust you with a little, I can trust you with a lot. And as we trust him, he can trust us. As we continue to put the trust back on his shoulders and say, God, I trust you. I trust what you're doing. I trust the plan. I trust the plot, process, your power. I trust all of those things. He says, okay, now that I know I can trust you to trust me in those things, I'm going to let you do more. I'm going to give you more. Because I know that as, you, as it keeps getting harder and as things keep happening, you're going to keep trusting me. And I think sometimes we do have those periods of testing. Sometimes, however, I think those trials are not just trials. Sometimes they are life altering, heartbreaking, earth-shattering kinds of moments. The moments that you never want to live again. I've lived some of those moments. I hated them. And I questioned God in some of those moments. Why would you abandon me? How could you let this happen? Where were you? In 2017, we had a moment like that in our youth group. Three of our students and their mom passed away. Right after a week of youth camp. And I remember sitting there that morning at 5 a.m. when Linda Bottoms called me to tell me what happened. And I screamed and I said, what do we do? 
was so broken. I was so mad. I was so hurt. I was 27 years old. I wasn't the leader to lead a bunch of kids through their grief. I was pregnant with my first child. I was in the middle of counseling program in grad school. I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. I questioned God in those moments. And I was so angry and so frustrated because I knew, I knew he could have changed the whole thing. I knew he could have. And I was mad that he didn't. And there's been years that have passed since then. And sometimes in those moments, I think like, what would those kids have encountered years from now? You know? And I don't know that God was like protecting them in that moment. I don't know. And I can't answer that. And I think if you knew, I think if I knew, I think that we wouldn't need God. We wouldn't have to be able to lean into God and trust God because we wouldn't need him. We'd already know all the answers. But I think that we live in a fallen world. I think that we live in a place where Adam and Eve sinned and because of that, evil was brought into this world. And because of the evil of human flesh, there are things that happen in our lives that we can't control. And there are things that happen that break our hearts, that break God's heart. And it's hard because what do we do in those moments? What do we do when we feel like our promises and our answers and our things aren't questioned? How do we move from this to this, this whole eternity picture, when this hurts and it's life-shattering? And I think that's where we have to go to this story in the Bible with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says, but there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that they be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I've set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing fire, the God whom, who we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. But even if he doesn't, there have been situations in your life probably where God hasn't. And maybe like me, you're angry. Maybe when you think about it now, five years down the road, you're still hurt. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. And he's still on the throne. And there will be moments after this one and moments before this one where God has shown up and he's moved in his power, and he's moved in his might, and he's moved in his timing and his process. And it's hard because we have to trust that process. We have to lean into God's sovereign power when it feels like everything is out of our control. We have to lean into his sovereign power when it feels like the things aren't happening the way that we want them to happen. 
when we're broken and we're hurt and we're mad at God, we have to lean into that power. So many times we live on the cusp of that trust for God, waiting to trust him but afraid to go all in because what if it doesn't happen? What if I trust you and I go all in and then you don't do this thing? What if I'm stuck in this situation, in this in-between? What if this means my life will change? What if I trust you, but then this means my life is going to change? What if it makes me uncomfortable? What if I'm so incredibly broken and I feel like I've been abandoned? Even when that situation doesn't work out, even when we're still hurt, when we're still devastated, God is still on the throne. And he's still sovereign and he still has that power. And we can still lean into that in the midst of that hurt. We can lean into that and let him be that comfort and him be that peace for us, even when it doesn't make sense to us. I think in those moments when we don't have all the answers, that's when we have to put our trust in him the most. In the day-to-day, yes, but especially in those moments where we're hurt, we have to say, God, I trust you. I don't know what's happening and I feel hurt, maybe broken, maybe abandoned, but I trust you. I trust you to do what you're doing and I'm giving you full control. I'm giving you full reign here. In my school counseling arena, I call it school counseling land sometimes, um, I have students that really struggle with being uncomfortable. We have students that were online for an entire year last year and then they came back in person this year and in August and September especially, we had kids that were so full of anxiety. Not anxiety where you're like, man, I feel a little uncomfortable right now. Like anxiety where they were on the cusp of having a panic attack in class because last year if they got anxious about their grades at all, they could just shut their laptop. They could just like get themselves out of class. But this year they had to sit in it for eight hours. And they didn't know how. They didn't know how to be uncomfortable in that moment. They didn't know how to feel that like stress and feel that anxious feeling of like having to confront your grades, your teachers, your classmates, the social pressures of being in middle school. They didn't know how to confront all those things head on. And so they would retreat and they would come to our office and they would say, I can't sit in class, it's too stressful, I'm so anxious. And I would say, okay, let's figure out where you're at on your uncomfortability scale. And then let's raise that number. What are you able to tolerate right now? You can tolerate a three, okay. Next time, I want you to tolerate a four before you come see me. I want you to be able to tolerate a little bit more anxiousness because the more they were able to tolerate, the more they could stay in class, the more they could manage that anxious feeling inside of them, that stress, that fear, that overwhelm of being in class with their peers, with their teachers, with the grades, with the laptop, with all of it. And I think sometimes we are so uncomfortable in our waiting. We're so uncomfortable in our lack of control. We're so uncomfortable in what God's doing that we don't want to trust him. Because if he could just tell us what it is, if he could just help us do it right now, then we wouldn't have to be uncomfortable. We could just do whatever we needed to do, and yeah, God can do what he wants to do, but he could do it in our timing, and we could figure it out all quickly. But he doesn't want us to do that. And in those moments of waiting, in those moments of trusting the process and things like that, like we have to put our trust in him. And just like I said earlier, when we continue to do that and he sees that he can trust us with a little bit, he's going to start trusting us with more and more and more. Because he sees that in every moment we're going to run back to him and we're going to say, okay, God, I trust you. 
You wanna know the wildest part about my life? God told me in college, in my undergrad program, when I was 20 years old probably, that if he was to show me what my future looked like, I would never believe him. He was absolutely right. If you were to tell me when I was a 20-year-old kid that I was going to be a school counselor one day, I would have laughed in your face. I looked at my husband the day we were practicing for college graduation, and I was like, babe, we never have to go to school again. He was like, yeah. I was so proud of us for never having to go to school again. And then three years later, I started my master's program. I never would have imagined that. He has things for you that you don't even know right now. And if he were to show them to you, you would not believe him. You would say, you're wrong, you have the wrong person, and what are you doing? But as we keep moving and we keep moving along those trusting steps and we sometimes blindly follow him, he's going to continue to open those doors. He's going to continue to do the things that he's promising you. He's going to continue to move in your life as you trust him. And here's the most beautiful part about what I get to do. It's not just that I'm a school counselor. Yeah, that's a cool thing. But the cool part, the best part, is that every day I sit in my office and kids come in my office. Kids that would never step foot into this youth ministry. Kids that drop the F-bomb a lot in my office. Kids that say horrible things about themselves, about people, sometimes to me. And I get to be that support. I get to be that constant in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of their depression, in the midst of their mental health issues, their parents' mental health issues, in the midst of a divorce, in the midst of suicidal ideation. And guys, I don't know if you realize what the state of education looks right now, but there are kids that are hurting. There are kids that come in my office and my heart breaks for them because they don't want to be here tomorrow. And they've got a plan. And they've got a timeline. And I have to send them to a mental health hospital. And they're broken and they're hurting. And there's no way that they would ever step foot into a youth group. But I get to be there for them. I get to love them. And I get to be the constant. Man, I have a kid I called the police on last year because I thought he had drugs on him. And then when they tried to search him, he ran and he left. That was a kid I was so close to. So close. And he told me this year, he said, Miss Jans, I was really mad at you for a while. I said, I know you were, but you're sitting in my office now, so it seems like you've gotten over it. And he said, yeah, I'm less mad at you now. And I said, okay. I said, you know why I did that? Because I love you, and I care about you. And you are full of potential, and you are full of things and power and things that you can do, and I see more for you. And I get to be a voice to kids that wouldn't have a voice otherwise. I get to advocate for students that need it. And I get to do youth ministry every single day. More than my husband gets to do it now, actually. Every day, eight hours a day. I'm dealing with wild middle schoolers. I also never said I would work with middle school, and I'm a middle school counselor, y'all, for two years, and I love it. It's so incredible the things that God does. It's so incredible the ways that he moves. The promises he's given us, the things he's told us, he fulfills those things and it doesn't always look like what we hoped it would look like. But he does it so beautifully, more beautifully than we could ever do ourselves. And I love it. 
I wouldn't trade where I'm at right now for anything because I know that he is moving and he is directing my steps and he is guiding me. And the more that I trust him, the more he trusts me. And the more that you trust him, the more he's going to trust you. And he's going to put things in place to make that beautiful in your life. You're going to look back and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, what did you do? This is incredible, Jesus. How did you do this? And he's going to be like, well, duh. I knew the whole time what I was doing. All you had to do was trust me. What will your life look like when you trust God? Even when it takes a while, even when it's unclear. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're trusting God in a specific situation. Maybe it's healing in your body. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's for a family member's salvation or or for a fulfillment of a promise he gave you many, many years ago. Whatever that thing is, God has not forgotten you. He hasn't lost sight of what's happening in your life. He hasn't ignored you, put you on the back burner. He sees you and he hears your cries and he loves you. And so if everyone will stand with me. We have a few minutes left here and if that's you today and you're like, God, I'm trusting you for a thing and I'm ready to go all in. I'm ready to trust you not just like on the cusp or just a little bit. I'm ready to put all my eggs in your basket and say, okay, God, you have control. You have power. I'm trusting you for this thing. If that's you, I want you to come up here because taking a step out of your seat is a great way to show God that you trust him because you're like, I'm doing it in front of everybody, just like Joshua did when he prayed that the sun would stand still. He did it in front of everybody because he trusted God boldly. And maybe you're in a place where you're like, there's not a specific thing I can think about. There's not a specific thing that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me about. But I know that in general, I need to trust God better. Because maybe there's things that he wants to do in my life that I can't even see yet because the place I'm in is so far removed from him. So we're gonna take a few minutes and I'm gonna pray. And if that's you, I want you to come up here and I want you to just give it all to Jesus. Because when you trust him, man, it's crazy. He'll do crazy, beautiful things in your life. God, I just thank you this morning. God, I thank you that you love us, that you hear our cries, God, that the things that we long for, the things that we need in our life, God, we don't go without those because you hear us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust your timing and your power and the process and the waiting. God, all of those things that you would help us to put our trust in you and that you would move mountains in our lives to the degree that there would be no other explanation except that you did it.